Welcome to The Subtle Effect, where we have conversations at the intersection of creativity and activism. This episode of The Subtle Effect, the long road of human development and the emergence of global interconnectivity. I'm your host, Catherine Ede. Thanks so much for joining us. We have many trees, the great forest of me. We have trees that have been staying for a very long time. Trees that remember the center of the earth because they are still connected to it. Trees that saw the first rounding of symbols carved right into their bark. Yes, I go back that far. We have trees that were uprooted many. Transplanting can be done. It's best to do it when the plant has gotten so strong that the roots fill out the entirety of its container, have begun to form a kind of seal around the edge of the soil it's been given, and then softly flipped into strong cupped hands and placed into a hole dug just for it. Fresh mixed dry soil then padded around with caring hands, planted where someone intended it to be. Then water, lots of fresh water, cold and free of impurities. Then sunlight and music. Yes, play it music. But our story is not about things happening the way that they are supposed to or the way they're preferred. Our story is about the way roots begin to grow out into a place they were never meant to be. The way they begin to push through and down and into the earth where they would rather not. My great-grandfather, Ali Tawil, Ali the Tall, stood two meters and grew down so deep into a place inside of himself, into a place that few ever do. Orphaned at six, He was sent on a boat from Crete to Turkey, connected the tips of his roots out into a new home, a soil across the ocean. When we are ripped up, made vulnerable, made to be in the other place, put in the bloodied soil when we'd prefer peace, perhaps this is when we become what we were always meant to be. Ali lived in a war camp in the Middle East that they never printed in American textbooks. He escaped for Lebanon, the place of his daughter, my Tata's birth, and my father's. I inherited Ali's deep socket ocean eyes, his love of storytelling. He was a man you'd bring your troubles to, and he'd always have words to help, and they'd never start with definitely. 
and I've been reflecting on this ripping, this war from which I come, and realizing that my past requires so much more forgiving than I've been prepared for. I do not come from peace or love alone. I come from a line of great ones who've been ripped up and burned and replanted, who've wanted and wished, and whose unfulfillment fueled them to widen the roads and cross the oceans. And all those saplings in the forest of our family, those young and unborn, like me, like you, were given a life of more, of something they call freedom. He is alive in my fingertips, in the star-like fabric of the skin of my hands. He is alive when tears come to my eyes that I let you see. He is the seed of me, the tallest cedar in our wood. He lived for me. Welcome to episode two of The Subtle Effect. If you are listening from the Amplifield, I want to extend a really warm welcome. If you are listening from SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or Source Vibrations YouTube channel, I'd love to let you know that we are also broadcasting today on the Amplifield. There is a link in this episode's description, or you can visit www.amplifield.com. That's A-M-P-L-I-F-I-E-L-D. The Amplifield is a digital temple, a global meditation room, and an incredible field designed to host people all over the world for intentional gatherings. You can see who is listening live with you at any time and where they are in the world. I am so honored to be broadcasting from the Amplifield. While you're here, please take a look around at the wonderful intentional offerings being hosted here. I grew up comfortably and cared for. I looked out from behind a child's eyes at a world full of resources at my fingertips, a world compared to most, and certainly compared to my immigrant father's upbringing that was filled with opportunity, ease, and wealth, a world of convenience. Now, as I look out at the complex problems our world is facing, I truly want to understand the best way forward, the most impactful, the most true way to engage with humanity's story. A story rich with the blood of advancement, with war, with so many of us having been ripped up and transplanted, displaced, and subject to nearly impossible conditions. A world where we are impossibly connected. A world in which so many I'm connected to are trying to help. So we're here at The Subtle Effect to talk about these questions. What's required to solve the global problems we're faced with today? What is the appropriate kind of activism? What does it include? Is there an inner posture I need to take in order to appropriately meet these complex issues that I can see? And today, I want to start about 11,000 years ago. 
It's the Mesolithic period. Humans have rope and pottery, and we have been painting on cave walls for 25,000 years. But it is sometime around 10,000 BC that our inventions really began altering our environment in a significant way. The travois is a platform made by tying two sticks together at one end with twine or leather, and it's spread apart at the other end, forming an isosceles triangle. A hide is stretched across the sticks, forming a stable surface on which animals could be set and dragged after the hunt. The travois was emergent. With our ability to haul with greater ease, we could hunt further from camp, carry larger animals back to the tribe. And the travois cut into the earth. Across open fields, the travois trampled the grass. Through wooded forests, we dragged it behind us, widening the footpaths we'd walked for thousands of years, forming the world's earliest roads. But the forests were narrow, and the travois' edges were easily stuck on trees. So in response, we cut them down. We began changing the shape of nature to make room for our early vehicles. Eventually, we hooked the travois onto saddles, on donkeys and horses. Our animals could hold more weight, so the travois got bigger and the roads got wider. In the earliest days of the road systems, there was no design. Adjustments were made on the path because these adjustments were necessary. The trees in our way were chopped down and hauled away. Rocks were moved. No one called the Department of Transportation to let them know that the Travois was being built, to put together a financial plan to pay the department to hire crews to widen the roads. No one sat around drafting tables or bid on the project. There was no best man for the job. The men in the forest, with an animal strapped to the travois, hacked down whatever was in their way. Around the fourth millennium BC, news of the wheel began to spread round our planet. Mounted on the back of the travois, the wheel made the loads lighter to carry helped animals pull faster. And as the Travois got this upgrade, it could carry more, and again, the roads widened. But the wheel created a new challenge. Wheels got stuck on rocks and debris that the flat Travois had pulled right over. And when it rained, thick mud would coat the contraption. With our wheels stuck in the mud, we were pressed with the need to again modify the roads, to make them flatter. Each and every advancement came with a set of problems. And as a solution, responding to our limitations and leaning towards efficiency, we slowly updated our systems. The roads made wider and flatter, each man an expert of the moment, driven to get himself out where he was stuck. From the wheeled travois, the cart was born, and we could carry still more weight longer distances, and the tensions posed by these even larger mechanisms created more friction, a cause for advancement. 
7,000 years after the wheel, I was born in 1988 in Atlanta, Georgia. In the center of the city, there's a place where all of the highways cross that's called Spaghetti Junction. I'd sit in the back of my mother's minivan and look at the massive concrete structures. Georgia is full of beautiful trees, and I saw their place was on the side of the highway, cut back to make way for the asphalt and road signs, the thousands of cars that sped under giant billboards and office towers. I did not yet wonder who had put each thing in its place. To me, it was all just there. On the overpass for I-85, in the center of the bowl of Spaghetti Junction, I would pretend to be a meatball, swirling through the noodling concrete. We'd be swallowed by the city and go tumbling through Atlanta's digestive tract. I grew up inside really advanced systems. I grew up with computers in the classroom. It was 1996, and I was in kindergarten, and we learned rudimentary typing and played Oregon Trail. In middle school, I started changing schools five times over the next four years, and every school that I started, that year they were teaching keyboarding. Through the screen, I dove into a tiny ocean of black and white nonsense patterns, my fingers dedicated eyes locked on the bright machine. By ninth grade, I'd taken intro to keyboarding three times, and the teacher was impressed with my pretest score. My hands like a devoted weaver across the keyboard, quick patterns on lighted screen, nonsense patterns, brain-trained fingers, input, output. I knew my way through this system. Throughout my childhood, Technology was integrated into my environment so fully that I never considered what life was like without it. Technological systems, highway systems, school systems. I grew up inside of some of the largest and most integrated systems ever on planet Earth. The beginning of a truly global marketplace was born before I was, and I've watched it all evolve from behind a child's eyes. It wasn't until early adulthood when I first began to realize consciously the extent to which all of these systems integrated across such a vast landscape. National systems, global systems, and everything around me felt sort of made by design. A kind of powerful, silent design. A complex design. One which I was subject to one which provided quite a lot, one which I had been living inside of, never noticing. I was a fish in water. When the massive armies of the Roman Empire were unable to move quickly from place to place because thick mud filled the roads, drowned their boots, the empire began organizing and constructed the most advanced road systems the world had ever known. Crushed stone was laid, so when it rained, running water would leak down around the rocks. 
This early form of pavement was so effective, word spread, and upgrades were made between farmlands and city centers. Large cities transformed with this advancing infrastructure. Chariots became widely used. Then shocks and springs were added to the carts. Crete, the largest Greek island south of mainland Greece, is known for a road from Knossos in the north to the southern part of the island. This cut stone road had the world's first formal drainage system built on both sides. This is one of the first examples in the Western world I can find of how humans began to implement design into our road systems. Building on the progress and innovation that had come by necessity, this was innovation by design. These roads were constructed by giant crews, brought together resources from massive areas, ideas spreading across continents, and the impact of these systems was so much greater, impacting all parts of life. For example, as news of these systems spread, and formal roads were constructed from countryside farms all the way to city centers, food was brought in larger quantities, and because of less muddy roads, the food was cleaner when it arrived, so there was less disease, which made way for healthier people, and then larger cities and more humans living longer. And this was the foundation for the massive industries we have surrounding and supporting us today. The beginnings of integration from farm to city, from country to country, from individuals and small groups working on their own, to the pooling of resources to undertake massive projects that would impact entire civilizations. Today, we have city planners and the DMV. Today, there are industries in China that send their aluminum to American prisons where workers make road signs for our highways. There's the manufacturing of crosswalk technology, of special trucks that paint the lines on highways. Today, we live in a global marketplace. And as with the larger systems in the Roman Empire, our larger systems have greater impact than ever before. For the first time in human history, the design of our systems have impact around the entire planet. When I was 20, I packed my backpack and bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii. I was a girl raised in suburbia, landing on an off-grid medicine farm home to 17 different kinds of mangoes. I learned, for the first time, how to let myself be free. I learned how to pee outside. I went to drum circles on nude beaches. Sometimes, I'd watch the swimmers on the shoreline. I'd watch them stare at the water, watch their pattern makers take notice of the perfect timing to dive into the water. I'd watch them wait until it looked most dangerous and they'd bow into the wave, dive right into the place just before the water crested, right where it looked 
like the wave might take you out past life itself. And they'd swim hard and fast under the ocean until they'd come up way out past the break. I watched until I learned, and I stood on the shoreline, and I waited until it looked the most dangerous, and I dove into the waters, swam hard out past the break. I was learning how to be human. I was coming home to myself. And it was here that for the first time, I began to see all of the programming I'd unconsciously received my whole life. I felt like a bottle full of messages, and I wanted to break myself open and drain out all of the rules of the game I'd been playing. Far enough outside of convention, just past the break, on the other side of fear, I was returning to myself. I stayed four years on the islands, and when I returned, I saw with new eyes the world I had grown up in. I saw, for the first time, the systems, alive and well, that I had been so immersed in growing up, the systems I had been unconsciously participating in as a child and teenager. How many products, all wrapped in plastic, stamped made in China, how much cheap and crappy food, how few options to participate in a life not driven by consuming, how loud the news, how empty the forests. I began to look and then look deeper. The convenient options for simple things, something as simple as where to eat or where to buy toothpaste, I began to slowly see were part of larger systems operating without a conscience. The box stores paid their workers an unfair wage, and they supplied their goods from the Far East where regulations were low or non-existent. The wars for oil, and the oil for fuel, for packaging, for synthetic fibers, for asphalt. I'll never forget the Guardian article from a few years ago about this town they call Christmas, a town near Shanghai, China, that houses 60 low-wage factories that function all year long to provide over 60% of the world's Christmas decorations. The Chinese man wearing a Santa hat on the cover, covered in red powder, covering plastic snowflakes. As I start to pull one thread, the whole rug begins to unravel. A look at the .gov sites that list our military budget. The billion-dollar contracts with advanced weapons systems manufacturers. The 2,000-year war. This is a system I cannot morally support. How do I engage with this in a healthy way? Can I disengage with this in a healthy way? This system by design, this system that feels out of my control, this system that I do not know how to stop supporting, this system I was born inside of, this system that I benefit from, this system that enslaves factory workers around the world, that has me conveniently buying into everything it provides, this system that makes life so much easier, 
this system that I have never seen before. As I stare out at this world, I feel unprepared for what I see. I feel unprepared to deal with the complexity of the situation. I feel unprepared to solve the problems that my mind can barely wrap around. Who is working to solve these problems? A dozen and a half petitions later, and I'm spinning. So I go for a walk by the creek. I walk on the concrete laid next to the running water. I stare at the cracks. The advancement upon which exists the foundation of my life next to the same water that was here in 10,000 BC. And sitting by the creek, I begin thinking about each and every widening of the road, each advancement that has led us out of problems and into solution and into more complex systems. And I think of my great-grandfather, Ali. I think of the wanting and wishing for more, for an easier life, a better life, and how our progress has depended on this wanting. In the days of the Travois, the development of our roads and our human progress relied purely on our immediate needs, in the moment, cutting trees, moving rocks, and in the Roman Empire, our systems by design, our advancement brought us together to create plans involving more of us, connecting more of us. Now, our systems stretch all the way across the globe, with their convenience and their dysfunction all wrapped up together. A global marketplace has led to global problems, massive problems, intricate and strange and hard to wrap your head around kind of intercontinental, intergovernmental, interstage developmental problems. Problems that feel totally out of control and I feel unprepared to help or make any kind of impact. And so staring at the water running through my little city, I do what only I can do for myself. I ask. I ask not to anyone, I ask unto myself, what is it that I am supposed to do? And you know what? I don't get an answer. I do not get an action, any plan, any solution. What I get is a feeling, something that I could give words to describe, but Something that I cannot share with you, not really. Something that I cannot prove is there. Something intangible and only for me. Completely independent of external experiences, it arises inside of me. And just like all of the solutions that have made and widened the path of our long human history, like the Travois and the Wheel, this internal experience is emergent. Outside of any shoulds or coulds, outside of any action plan or design, is my own inner teacher. And from the center of this feeling, I look around 
and I see all of these people on their cell phones. Faces staring down onto lighted screen, their brain-trained fingers typing messages, posting, scrolling. I see global interconnectivity. And it's emergent. This interconnectivity is so obvious and so massive, and I am so deep inside of it that I can't even see it. We are connected by screens in our pockets to every continent, every language, every religion, every race, every idea. We are connecting today via this amazing technology the human race has tapped. And here's what I know. Simultaneously co-arising are the most advanced problems, advanced poverty and war this world has ever seen, and an interconnectivity this world has never known. And this human history This life I've been born right into, the systems that I'm a part of, sometimes unconsciously, that connect each corner of the globe in deeply powerful and painful ways. This is the world that I am learning how to grow my roots out into, the world that I would sometimes rather not, the world that I often feel out of place in, as if I've been transplanted, forced to grow out and into a world with blood-soaked soil, with comfort that I often enjoy unconsciously at the expense of someone else. This world requires of me a lot more forgiving than I was prepared for, a lot more grace and innovation and intelligence than I knew I'd need And as we come together, I want to have the courage to look honestly and discerningly at the kinds of challenges that we are facing. Because our story is not about things happening the way that they are supposed to, or the way they're preferred. Our story is about the way roots begin to grow out into a place they were never meant to be the way they begin to push through and down and into the earth where they would rather not. And I want to challenge us to push our roots out through the soil into the situations we'd rather avoid. To learn how to, from the inside of heartbreaking conditions and all that is at stake, to learn to grow like my grandfather like the strong cedar that you are, down and in and up and through the rocky soil, through the concrete and steel, to connect individually to the strong inner knowing, inner wisdom, so we might move together into the emergent co-creation of the world that is on the way. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to visit katherineed.com. There you'll find a video called Listen that's a great follow-up to this podcast. The music you heard today was produced by Source Vibrations. If you want to support The Subtle Effect, 
I invite you to visit sourcevibrations.com and check out the extensive library of music for sound healing and meditation. A purchase at sourcevibrations.com directly supports the subtle effect. And join us for episode three, where I interview David Nickel, author of Subtle Activism and founder of the Gaia Field Project. Thanks to the Amplifield for hosting us today. And thanks to you for listening. I look forward to sharing more with you next time on The Subtle Effect.